John 17, 18, Jesus said in his prayer to the Father, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them, meaning his followers, into the world. Last time in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we started looking at the extended teaching segment by Jesus that runs from chapter 5 through chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, which has been called the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, which include what is called the Beatitudes. Some refer to them as the attitudes of the kingdom of God. Now, more accurately, they are the blessings, since that is what the name or the word Beatitude means. It means blessed. Today, we might think that the Beatitudes would suggest living a life separated from the world. Instead, we're taught in these next passages by Jesus to interact with the world around us, to be involved in the lives of others, to be living examples of Jesus to those around us. The followers of Jesus are to be present in this world rather than absent from it. Jesus wants us to spread the good news about him to others. In his parting words recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last words in this book, referred to as the Great Commission, he charged his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. In the passages we're going to be looking at today, Jesus uses the metaphors of salt and light to describe the kind of involvement and influence his followers are to have in this present world. So flip over to Matthew chapter 5, we're picking up in verse 13, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13 reads, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. He's talking to his followers, to Christians, to believers in Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. In this first metaphor or parable, Jesus tells his followers they are the salt of the earth. Salt served many purposes in the ancient world. I want to look at four that can be applied to us as followers of Jesus today. First, salt was used in the ancient world to flavor foods, similar to the way we use salt today. So in the same way that salt enhances the flavor of food, we are to enhance the flavor of the world we're in as his followers. This world can be a dark and confusing place. The person who speaks words of encouragement and strengthening is a rare and a valued commodity. The person who can help someone see through the darkness, the person who can help someone see the hopeful side of things, the person who is joyful when others are beaten down. Christian, you know the one who has the answers to life's most difficult issues. You have reason to have hope beyond this life like no one else does in this world. You have reason to be joyful when others are discouraged. Be that person who helps others find hope and joy and peace in the midst of crisis always seeking to point them to Jesus Christ as the ultimate answer. Someone loses a loved one. 
Be the person to stand by them and let them lean on you. Someone who is going through a divorce, perhaps. Be the person to help them find hope in the midst of the overwhelming sense of failure and loss that fills their heart. Someone is struggling with sin that's ripping their life apart. Be the person to help them find the courage to keep fighting and not give up, reminding them of God's forgiveness and grace. Someone is discouraged. Be the person to speak encouragement to them. Someone is feeling alone. Be a friend to them. Someone is losing the will to live. Be the person who helps them find a reason to go on living. As salt, we are to be distinct and different. Don't be like everyone else. Don't behave like everyone else. Be what's different. Follow the ethic that Jesus teaches us. Be the gracious one. Be the forgiving one. Be the honest one. Be the patient one. Be the joyful one. Be the courageous one. Be the humble one. Be the encouraging one. Second, salt can create thirst. Jesus is the living water which can quench the unquenchable thirst that every human being has in their soul. Chapter 7 of the Gospel of John tells the story of when Jesus went to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And during the time of Jesus, one of the rituals that was observed on each day of this feast was that a priest would lead a procession down to the Pool of Siloam where he would then fill this golden pitcher with water and then return to the temple and then he would pour the water out at the altar. The ritual was to remind the people of the water that God provided for them when they were out in the wilderness from the rock, when God would bring the water from the rock to provide water for them. The ritual also, it looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, as prophesied in Zechariah 14.8, where it says, On that day living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. Then, with this water ritual as the backdrop, John 7.37 says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus uses the water ritual that was part of this Feast of Tabernacles celebration to create a picture of who he is and what he will do in our life. If Jesus can give this living water that satisfies the unquenchable thirst of the human soul, and we're the salt of the earth, which creates thirst, what does that suggest that we're to do? We're to help people recognize their thirst and see Jesus as the answer to that thirst. We're to be pointing to the source of living water, Jesus. Third, salt is used as a preservative. This was one of the most important uses of salt in the ancient world since they didn't have refrigeration. People would rub salt into meat, for example, which would then slow the decay of the meat considerably. One of the more familiar examples of this same kind of thing in our own day is jerky. Jerky is meat which has been heavily salted and dried. 
As the salt of the earth, we're to be a preserving influence in the world. We're to be examples of what is right and good and pure and honorable. Our living out the teachings of Jesus in our own life has a positive influence on the lives of others around us. Our swimming against the current of popular culture, marching to this different drummer Jesus, being a follower of His, putting His teachings into practice, inspires, encourages, strengthens others to do the same. Finally, salt was a vital, important commodity in the ancient world. It could even decide the fate of empires in the ancient world. Those who had abundant access to salt thrived, and those who lacked salt would perish. It was needed for life itself. The followers of Jesus are to be a vital and needed thing in this world too. We have a purpose to fulfill in this world. God has put us here for a reason. We are to be life bringers. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful are the mountains, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. We are those beautiful feet who bring good news, who proclaim salvation. We're Christ's ambassadors in this world, Paul said. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul was writing, he said, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus said, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The salt of the ancient world contained a lot of impurities and compounds other than just sodium chloride. People gathering salt from naturally occurring salt deposits and any manufacturing of salt that they did was very crude by today's standards. As a result, salt could look like salt but not be very salty in taste or function. The salty part of the salt had been leached away and the remaining substance was saltless in that sense. This saltiless salt was not good for much of anything. You couldn't make it salty again. It was simply discarded. Christian, it's important that we be salty. If we are not salty, then we are failing to fulfill our God-given purpose in this life. And our value to the world has disappeared. Verse 14, says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. This is 
interesting because Jesus calls himself the light of the world. In John 8, 12, for example, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when he calls us the light of the world too, he's connecting us to himself in a very important way. He's the ultimate true source of light, and we are reflectors of his light. It's kind of like the way the moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon doesn't really have any light of its own. It only reflects the light from another source, the sun. And in the same way, we don't really have any light of our own. We reflect the light of the real source, the sun, S-O-N. Light is used in the Bible as a symbol or metaphor for purity, for truth, for knowledge, for God's presence, for God's revelation. And when Jesus says we are the light of the world, he's saying that we are to be these things in the world. We are to be purity and truth. We are to bring knowledge of God. We are to be the presence of God. He says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. A town on a hill, it can be seen by everyone from a great distance. At night, you can see the lights of the town shining out in the darkness around it. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on its stand and get, it gives light to everyone in the house. So the same idea is being communicated in this example. The light can be seen easily and it's intended to be seen easily. The function and purpose of the lamp is to be seen, to bring light to others, to be a beacon, to be a help, something that others benefit from. And in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus wants his followers to let their light shine before others. Jesus himself is the one true light of the world. He wants his followers to live as lights in this world too, reflecting in our life the transforming power of the Lord and the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit that's growing in us. Others see what he's doing in us and through us and that glorifies our Father in heaven. Be a Jesus reflector in everything you are and everything that you do. Living as salt and light is explained and illustrated for us in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, which we will be looking at over the next few weeks, we're given repeated examples and illustrations of what being salt and light looks like. When we live like this, we glorify the Lord. We are bringing life and light into the world that surrounds us. This next passage, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, we noted in our introductory remarks on the Sermon on the Mount that this passage is the main thesis or summary statement for the whole sermon. It's important that Jesus affirm his full embrace of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament because the righteousness that Jesus teaches in this sermon is a radical departure from the way the Jewish people had been applying the law and the prophets. Jesus challenges and corrects 
common misunderstandings and practices, and he presents the true intention of the Old Testament commandments. It's important that his disciples, his followers, understand that he's not trying to eliminate the Old Testament law, but rather to help us get the true heart of it. So in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets are the religious and moral law that God gave through Moses and the words of God spoken through the Old Testament prophets. Together, this is the word of God contained in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come to abolish it, to destroy it, eliminate it, repeal it, annul the law and the prophets. Jesus came instead to fulfill them, to complete them, to bring them to their intended purpose and culmination. Verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will disappear. He says, in this expression Jesus is that he's using here, he's, he's referring to the smallest letter and stroke in the Hebrew alphabet. We could say the dot of every I and the cross of every T. In other words, every bit of the Word of God, no matter how small and insignificant it may appear to be, matters. He says, until heaven and earth disappear, or in other words, it ain't happening. Until everything is accomplished. This is an important detail for us to take note of. See, the Old Testament law was not intended to remain in effect forever, but rather until all that it was intended for has been accomplished. Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the culmination of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus Christ has established a new covenant between us and God through himself. He has fulfilled and completed for us all that was required under the law of the old covenant. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. And a new kind of relationship with God is now possible through Jesus and what he's done for us. So in verse 19, he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets does not mean that he has eliminated its moral obligations. For example, commandment number nine of the Ten Commandments, do not lie, it's still relevant. God still doesn't want us to lie. He wants us to tell the truth. Not only are we, as followers of Jesus, to observe the moral law of God, we are to faithfully and accurately teach others to follow and obey it too. Finally, 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were the most committed and respected religious people of the day. The teachers of the law, also referred to as the scribes, were the recognized experts in the law. These two groups, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or the scribes, were considered the best in religious practice and knowledge of the day. And Jesus says that his followers are to exceed their righteousness. Rather than pursuing a strict legalistic adherence to the rules, believing that by doing these things well enough, one can earn their entrance into heaven, the follower of Jesus obeys the law of God from their heart because this is who they are in Christ. We are the children of God now. We have been born again by the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us who moves us to will and to obey the will of God. In closing this morning, God didn't create the church of Jesus to be a disconnected entity in this world, a group focused on protecting itself and isolating itself from the very people that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross some 2,000 years ago to save. Instead, as things get worse in this world, the need for the real church increases. We're living in troubled times. The systems of this world are struggling and failing all around us. It's not a time for the church to check out and separate itself and isolate itself and build up big walls to keep all of the rest of that out Instead, it's a time for the church to check in and to be present and engaged. Now, for some, when they hear that, they translate it into political action. That's not what I mean. I'm not talking politics here at all. And I don't think that Jesus meant that either. I think what Jesus meant is found in the very last words of Jesus that are recorded in this book of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 18, this is the very last thing Jesus said to his followers. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The answer is Jesus Christ. To make everyone a disciple of Jesus. This is what he calls us to do. See, in its simplest and most basic form, the idea of being salt and light are about being present among the people of this world, exemplifying Jesus, representing Jesus, informing about Jesus, helping others find Jesus. If salt stays in its container, never being shaken out and distributed, it doesn't provide the benefit that it's intended to. It's just sitting in the salt shaker. If light is hidden under a bowl, 
It doesn't provide the benefit it's intended to be. Have a flashlight. You turn it on and you stick it in your pocket. Be light. Be salt. This is our call. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we hear this call, this challenge that you give us today to be salt, to be light in this world. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to know how to do that day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, as we are present and involved in this world that we are living in now. We pray, Lord, that we would carry you with us. We would represent you. We would be an example of you and that we would share you with others. Make this so, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.